Welcome to Words of Grace, radio ministry of Elder Ben Winslet, pastor of the Flint River Primitive Baptist Church near Huntsville, Alabama. We invite you to stay tuned to today's broadcast. Today on Words of Grace, we're going to play for you part two of a message that we delivered at Flint River Primitive Baptist Church a couple of weeks ago from the book of Matthew, chapter 14, entitled Morning and Miracles. If you tuned into Words of Grace last week, you know that this particular message looks at the reaction of our Lord Jesus Christ to the death of the man that baptized him who was his cousin in the flesh, who also was his forerunner and a worshiper of him, and that man was John the Baptist. John had been beheaded for standing up to a political figure, Herod, who had unlawfully taken his brother's wife to be his own. John stands up to him, he is imprisoned, and because of the desires and the scheming of this particular sinful woman, John would be martyred. He would die. He would lose his head. He would be beheaded in prison, coming to the end of his ministry in such a terrible way as an execution. As we emphasized last week, as the word of John the Baptist's death comes to the Lord, he goes into a place alone 
to pray. And there are actually a couple of times in this chapter where Jesus attempts to do that. The first time Jesus does that, people, knowing that he is there, come to him and they desire of him miracles. And so that time of prayer, as he mourned the loss of John the Baptist, was cut off prematurely. And then eventually Jesus, as he has done there, would depart into a mountain place alone as he sends the apostles across the Sea of Galilee, and he would come walking on the water to them after praying to his Father over the night. In our broadcast today, we want to look at the actual miracles that Jesus performed in this chapter. Think of the dark backdrop of the death of John the Baptist, the fact that Jesus wanted to be alone to pray because his cousin had been executed, yet this also transitioned into another period of his ministry one step closer to his crucifixion. In the midst of all of that, people come to Jesus, and in this, you have the multiplying of the fishes and the loaves, and we spend some time in today's message talking about that. But we also have, after this time of prayer, Jesus walking on water to his disciples, one of the most interesting and awe-inspiring stories from the ministry of our Lord. He walks on top of troubled waters to reach the apostles and even invites one of them out there on the water with him. And so we'll look today at his sovereign power over creation as he calms storms, divides loaves and fishes, and walks on the water. As we bring this message to a close, there are also four takeaways that we give applications of this particular chapter that will be beneficial and edifying to you in your own personal life. We hope you enjoy today's message, part two of Morning and Miracles. When the people had heard thereof, they had followed him on foot out of the cities. Now, notice the plurality of that. Multiple villages, multiple cities. People hear of Jesus and they go to be with him. I would that we would be blessed with such a revival in our day and age that every Lord's Day people would depart out of their cities to go into the house of God and to seek Jesus. It's a beautiful picture here. Now again, you could be a curmudgeon, happy curmudgeon's day. Well, they're just going because of the miracles. They just want something from Jesus. I want something from Jesus. Do do you not? It's okay to ask him to help you. In John 6, there's the parallel to what happens here. And Jesus tells them, you don't seek me because of the miracles. You seek me for the fishes and the loaves. Does that mean that it was okay to seek him for the miracles? I think you could infer that. It's okay to come to your father and ask for help. Dads. I know sometimes when the, when the kid keeps asking you help and they can do it on their own, you might be like, hey, go do it yourself. And there is a time for that because we train our children to be self-sufficient. Go do it yourself. That's okay. But when eight-year-old Johnny comes up to you asking for help, okay, I'm glad to help. Because you what? You love them. You're glad to help them. Jesus doesn't say, I'm tired of helping you. He doesn't say, don't come to me with your problems. 
He says, you have open access through my grace to this throne where you can find grace to help in time of need, and you never wear out that welcome. These people come from all around. Some of them want miracles. Some of them want healing. Some of them have kids that are sick. Some have kids that are possessed with devils. And they just come to Jesus. Now remember, he's going to be alone. Jesus saw them. And look at verse 14. He was moved with compassion towards them, and he healed their sick. The people come to Jesus, and even though he has this need to pray to God. Again, he's divine, but he's also a human being. And so he prays to God over and over as is necessary. And he's teaching us, but at the same time, this is something that as a person, he has to do. Great is the mystery of godliness. But he sees their needs and he pauses, he puts on hold his purpose for being alone, and he begins to heal their sick. Now, in verse 15, the disciples say that this is a desert place, and the time is now past. Send the multitude away that they may go into the villages and buy themselves victuals. The disciples say, you know, Jesus, it's past time to eat, and that's what this phrase, it is now past time, the time has passed. It's past time to eat. We don't have enough food for these people. Let's send them back into their cities to buy food. Jesus says, they need not depart, give ye them to eat. And they say unto him, we have here but five loaves and two fishes. Now, from other gospel accounts, we know that if these are the same accounts, that The five loaves and the two fishes come from a lad that is there with them at the time. You have five loaves and two fishes. Jesus, by the way, would feed a multitude of people on more than one occasion in this way. I could interject a point here in our own personal lives. How does Jesus feed his people today? When they're hungry and when he is moved with compassion for them. You know how he most often, there's a lot of them that he provides employment for, and he gives them a way to work. But if they are disabled, you know how Jesus in his compassion feeds his children today? He sends you. He sends you to help. If somebody's poor and afflicted and cast down and they can't take care of themselves And you find yourself with the opportunity to help them. And I know that there are people in this building who give a substantial portion of their time to the care of other people. You know how Jesus answers in his compassion when his children suffer in the world today? He sent you. You were his solution. Sometimes that can be a burden. And we can help with that. And there are agencies that we can call on to help with that. But if you ever find yourself giving food to those that don't have food or helping someone who can't help themselves, then remember that example of the church as the body of Christ. And they're described, these various members, as ears and eyes. Jesus is the head, of course, but you have the hands and you have the feet. If you are the one providing for someone, then in that moment in human history... You might have been the very hand and the body of Christ 
helping someone with that which they stood in need of. You acted as the hand. You fed someone that needed the food. And what's so beautiful about that from Matthew chapter 25, inasmuch as you have done this to the least of his brethren, you know who you've done it unto? Unto Jesus. When you provide for the poor and you give a meal to someone who is hungry and that person belongs to Jesus, you have given a meal to Jesus himself. Because again, they're a part of what? They're part of his body. His people are his body. He is their head and That's how the Word of God describes His people. You've done it unto Him, and you acted as His hand or His feet when you provided for His people. Jesus is moved with compassion. He sees them, and He's moved with compassion towards them, and He healed their sick. And as they're hungry, Jesus could have sent them away. Did He have something else He needed to be doing? Yes, He did. What was it that He needed to be doing? Praying to God at the death of his cousin, John the Baptist, who was one of his worshipers, who was his forerunner, who was the very one who baptized him, who died for the cause of truth. That's significant, isn't it? And yet, rather than putting his needs first, he goes out of the way to help these people. Don't send them away. I'm going to bless them. And so he says, bring me these five loaves and two fishes. Bring them hither to me. And he commanded the multitude to sit on the grass. And he took five loaves and the two fishes. And looking up to heaven, he blessed and brake and gave the loaves to his disciples and the disciples to the multitude. And they did eat and were filled. And he took up the fragments that remained, 12 baskets full. He divides these loaves and fishes so much that there's more left over that didn't get ingested. Now, I think that this is a beautiful picture of the New Testament church. In one of the other Gospels, as Jesus says this, they're made to separate into companies of 50. He separates them into companies, this great multitude, and there are thousands of people here, 5,000 men, and besides the 5,000 men, you got women and children. You got moms and dads, you got children, people bring their kids there, you might have a child, you might have two children, you might have five children, you might have eight to ten children. Think about how many people Jesus just fed with two fish and five loaves of bread. He divides these five loaves and two fishes and he feeds thousands of people. Now I said that's a beautiful picture of the New Testament church. They're set in companies. It's a great multitude on which Jesus has compassion Jesus takes what's already there and he multiplies it beyond what it is in and of itself and he feeds his people and their stuff that's left over when they get done. That is literally what happens on Sunday morning. He takes what's already there, I've put some stuff in the basket, and I can tell you that when Jesus multiplies it, it's way more than what it would have been had I just brought my basket to you. He blesses it. He distributes it. He multiplies it. And all of you get a different blessing out of it. If God is in the matter, there might be something that touches one of you that went right over the head of another one and something else touched another one. And it's the miracle of preaching. It's what happens when God is involved in his church. It's a beautiful thing that happens. And it's happened over and over again in your lives. It's happened over and over again in my life. We simply distribute what Jesus has multiplied. 
We've got to bring something here. If a man doesn't do his duty in the study room, there's not going to be a whole lot of blessing in the pulpit. But if the man has prepared himself, I want you to understand the majority of what happens that's up here has nothing to do with what I do. But it's all Jesus. It's all Jesus. After they eat, straightway, Jesus constrained his disciples to get into a ship. He constrained them to get in a ship. Get in the ship, go. To go before him on the other side while he sent the multitudes away. So Jesus sends the disciples away. And that word constrained is interesting. I think you can assume that maybe they don't want to leave him. For the three and a half years that they follow Jesus, they're with him basically every hour of the day. Sometimes there's no rest, and so they get in the ship, and Jesus sleeps as they go across to the other side. Maybe that's the only opportunity he had to get a good night's sleep, because everybody's bothering him all the time to get something. He sends the disciples across without him, constrains them, He sends the multitude away, and so you have no disciples with him. You have no multitudes with him. He finds himself as he wanted to be when all of this began to happen, and that is, in a word, alone. Jesus is alone. What he does here is he goes up into a mountain apart, there's that word again, to pray, and he was there alone. Jesus goes up into a mountain, his disciples are gone, his friends are gone, the multitudes are gone, and what he does here, is he alone? Well, in a physical sense, but he's not alone, because God, his Father, is with him. I'm going to make a point about this in a minute as we look at the application for today's message, but I just want you to emphasize that point in your mind for right now. What happened leading to all of this was his cousin, his forerunner, the man who baptized him, and his worshiper. He was executed. That hasn't gone away. Yeah, a scene has gone by in this story, but the reality that John the Baptist had just met his end and Jesus learned about it is still there. And so what Jesus does is he goes into this mountain alone and he prays to his father. Jesus prioritizes prayer in this moment of sorrow. But you remember Jesus has this group of disciples, and they're kind of a mess, and they need help most of the time, like we need help most of the time. And so look at verse 24. The ship was now in the midst of the sea, tossed with waves, for the wind was contrary. Now understand, this is not pirates of the Caribbean sort of ship, and this is not pirates of the Caribbean sort of sea. This isn't even the Mediterranean Sea. This is the Sea of Galilee. You can see from one side of the Sea of Galilee to another. It's not like looking across Gunnersville, but it is small enough that you could make out where a person was landing. When you are on a lake even this size and the wind is blowing and the sea is being tossed, if you're in a little several-person rowboat, that they fished out of, you could be lost. This was threatening their life. They know this. They are struggling. It is tossed with waves. The wind was contrary. 
And so here comes Jesus, because his people need him. In the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went to them walking on the sea. The fourth watch, John Gill points out, that is at minimum after 3 a.m. Now, the Jews debate, were there three watches? Were there four watches? The Romans had a fourth watch in the night, and so then theologians debate, was this the fourth watch in Roman timekeeping? Was this the fourth watch in Jewish timekeeping? If the Jews had four watches instead of three watches, like some people say, some people say, well, for the Jews, the fourth watch was actually the first watch of the morning. It was probably from 3 to 6 a.m., that period of time, from 3 to 6. Jesus, in the fourth watch of the night, went unto them walking on the sea. When the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It is a spirit! And they cried out for fear. Don't think we are the first generation of people who have been afraid that ghosts exist. Biblically, what happens to a spirit when a person dies or a soul? It goes to glory or it goes to torments. If a child of God dies, the spirit goes to be with God in glory. Today shalt thou be with me in paradise, Jesus said to the thief on the cross. That forever answers it. The story of Lazarus and the rich man, the rich man dies and he goes where? To torments. So at death, the spirit returns to God who gave it and it goes to one of two places. Jesus spake unto them, be of good cheer, it is I. Be not afraid. Peter answered and said, Lord, if thou will, if it be thou, bid me come unto thee under the water. Lord, if it's you, let me come out there and walk on the water with you. Now, why would Peter and these apostles immediately have such lack of fear? Well, you see, back in Matthew chapter 8, Jesus is asleep as they cross the ship, and the same thing happens. A great storm happens. They're terrified. They're fighting the ship. They're fighting the water. They're fighting the wind. Jesus is asleep in the boat, and they wake him up saying, Lord, save us. We perish. And he says, why are you fearful, O ye of little faith? Then he arose. He rebuked the wind and the sea, and there was a great calm. And the men marveled, saying, What manner of man is this, that even the winds and the sea obey him? When Jesus comes walking on water, Peter says, Oh, it's Jesus. He controls the sea, and he's walking on it. Whoa, I've never seen this before. Lord, let me come out there with you. And Jesus says, Come on. When Peter was come down out of the ship, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. And when the wind was boisterous, he was afraid, and he began to sink. And he cried, saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched forth his hand and called him and said unto him, O thou of little faith, whereof didst thou doubt? Why are you afraid, Peter? Why are you afraid? And when they were come into the ship, the wind ceased. And they that were in the ship came and worshipped him, saying of a truth, Thou art the Son of God. The Son of God being of the same substance and essence with the Father, Verily God, God himself, God incarnate. That's a pronouncement of his deity and his divinity. I want to give you four takeaways today in brief from what we just read. Number one, and this is a point I've made several times, even Jesus needed time alone when his cousin died. There was a period of mourning. If your cousin died, you'd be sad. 
If the man who baptized you died, you'd be sad. If someone who was a faithful worshiper of Christ lost their life for the faith, you'd be sad. All of that happened in this one man, John the Baptist. Jesus needed a period to mourn. And so what does he do? He goes alone and he prays. This shows that, number one, mourning is okay, and number two, this shows the priority of prayer in our lives, especially in moments of grief. When tragedy strikes, what we ought to do is pray and pray and pray. Number two, these disciples are in trouble, right? Jesus made them get into the boat. Maybe they see the wind and they say, I don't think we should get in the boat. He constrains them. Get in the boat. Go. Jesus comes to his people when they struggle. And there is absolutely nothing that can stop him. When you are struggling in this world and terrible things are happening in your life, understand that nothing can stop Jesus from coming to you. Not winds not waves, not hunger, not death. Even if there are things that you might think would be more pressing for him, he loves you so much, his duty and his responsibility is so great to you that he would stop what he's doing to feed you or to come to you and rescue you. You say, well, my problems, they pale in comparison with other people. No, they don't. He cares for you. If you're in a storm, he comes to you because he's compassionate towards you. Number three, when Jesus gets there, what does he say? Be of good cheer. It is I. Be not afraid. You say that's easier said than done. And I agree. When you're going through a cancer, an illness, a medical emergency, when you're facing something that is too great for you to face, it is easier to say, be not afraid, than to actually be not afraid. But Jesus tells us this over and over again for a reason. It is I who walks on the storm, be not afraid, Be not of little faith, even if you're sinking, even if you're sinking. Number four, Jesus is God, and God is sovereign over his creation. What does Jesus do with the loaves and the fishes? Multiplies it. You say, that's impossible. It is for everybody but Jesus. He's sovereign over the fishes. He's sovereign over the loaves. He walks on top of the water. Can you walk on water? He walks on the water because he has sovereign power over the water. What does he do in Matthew chapter 8 when he's asleep in the boat and they wake him up? He simply says, peace be still, and immediately the wind stopped, and I believe that water got as smooth as glass because he's sovereign over it. He overruled physics when he walked on the water. In this story, you have tragedy, you have calamity, you have hunger and need, and you have raging storms. And in every single occurrence of this, Jesus is sovereign over it and prioritizes the needs of his people throughout it all. 
even over his own needs, because he is compassionate. Father, thank you so much for the fact that our Savior is sovereign, that we can come boldly to the throne of grace through him, our high priest, that has compassion on us, that is touched by the feeling of our infirmities. Thank you, Lord, that no matter what was going on in the world, he goes to his people, he provides for them, he feeds them, he's moved with compassion, he cares for them. Lord, so many times we see ourselves like these people hungry, maybe grumbling. We see ourselves as Peter having some faith, but then getting afraid midway through and beginning to sink. And Lord, help us to remember those words, be not afraid, it is I. Help us to not be of little faith. Help us to not be afraid. Help us to believe. We pray, Lord, in Jesus' name, and we say together, amen. If you enjoy the messages you hear on Words of Grace, consider this your invitation to visit a Primitive Baptist Church in your community. Copies of this and other broadcasts are available for download on iTunes and on our website. Address your correspondence to Words of Grace Radio, 641 Moontown Road, Brownsboro, Alabama, 35741, or visit us online at flintriverpbc.org.